have your Bibles, Exodus chapter 20, I'm not going to be too long today, um, but I am excited to be preaching, uh, you know, in a building, so praise God, hallelujah. I can see everybody here, this is amazing. There might be some people still in their cars, I don't know, but I'll be, I'll be trying to get to them too, praise the Lord. Exodus chapter 20, verses 22 and 20 uh, through 24 The Bible says, the Lord said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, you have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make anything to be with me. What he's saying here is, I have fellowship with you. You know that I've communicated with you. There's a power in knowing when God communicates with us. I think that we often need to just stop and realize and recognize when we hear the voice of God. So many times we go through life and we get a word from God or God does something for us, a miracle or does something special for us. And we maybe tell the testimony of it. We share it with a friend. But then we, we like forget about it, especially at the next trial at the next situation. It's like we totally, it just goes right out of our mind. What God is saying, hey, you need to remember that I have talked with you from heaven. In other words, you don't need anything else. You don't need any seances, any smoke, any weird incantation. You can talk to me and I will talk to you. Verse 23, he says, you shall not make anything to be with me. Gods of silver or gods of gold, you shall not make for yourself. And then he says this, an altar of earth you shall make for me and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. Then notice what he says next. Do we have the scripture on the screen? I don't know. This is kind of new. I'm in Exodus 20, 22. We'll get there. Like I said, work with us. We're going we're gonna to get all these bugs out eventually. But notice what it says in verse 24. In every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. Did you see what he said? He said, every place where I record my name. Does anybody know what that name is this morning? Has anyone been baptized in that name this morning? See, it's incredibly important that we know the name of God. It's incredibly important that we understand that in Jesus' name, it changes everything. Because when you have the name over your life, uh, the blessings of God will come to you. The blessings of God will be upon you when you believe in that name. Someone say amen. He said, where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. On this baby dedication service, I'm going to talk to the families, the parents, but everybody in this room. And I'm going to talk about the importance of a family altar. Everyone say a family altar. God cares deeply. You've heard me say it before a number of times. God cares deeply about families. He absolutely does. He cares so much about families. This is the way he structured the church. He called it the family of God. This is the reason why we call each other brother or sister. There's a reason why he calls it the the household of God or the house of God, where the, the people of God dwell or go to worship. 
And it wasn't just in the New Testament. It was all the way in the Old Testament. From the very beginning, God has always been about families. Right now, we're a people of God. And the people of God, there's a lot of us. We're, we're billions probably worldwide and throughout uh, uh, the world. And, and there are many, many, many peoples of God. There's a whole lot of people that believe the same way that, that you and I believe. And, but before there was this thing called the church, there was also this thing called Israel. And even right now, Israel, are, they are still a part of the covenant that belonged to Abraham. You've heard me talk about this before. It's incredibly important that we understand that Israel is still a part of the God's of God's plan. All right. But this means that we are all still a part of being the people of God, the chosen ones of God, and you and I have been grafted into that plan. But before there was a people, before there was this, this ginormous group of people, and before there was even a church, the ecclesia, the gathering, uh, before there was any of that, there was even a nation, the nation of Israel. They were uh, scattered. They were wandering. They, but yet they were still the nation of Israel. But before they were a nation, they were a tribe. Before they were a tribe, they were a family. The Bible says that 70 members of Jacob's household went into Egypt. Millions, probably over 600,000, probably over 1.52 million people ended up leaving. But there were 70 members of that family that went into Egypt. And even before then, God didn't just deal with a family. He actually dealt with a couple. This was Adam and Eve. Can I tell you, God has always been interested in working inside of families. And still today, and when you read through your Old Testament, when you get to the boring stages of, you know, uh, uh, you got Numbers and Leviticus, and you start getting to the begats, and so-and-so begats so-and-so, and, this, and that's where everyone stops reading their Bible. Yeah, I know how it is. It's just like kind of tune out, whatever, just kind of hop, skip, and jump through it. Well, all of that has to do with family. All of that has to do with a lineage. All that has to do with tracing the lineage to Jesus Christ and through David all the way back to Adam being a son of God, meaning that he was created of God because family matters. Family matters to God. And so what we see in the Bible is that God deals with the family unit. And one thing that we see clearly is that families were expected. This passage I read to you out of Exodus 20 was not directed to the church, or I'm sorry, to the nation of Israel. It wasn't directed to the collective body of believers of the Old Testament. No, it was directed to individual Families, individual Hebrews, the people that counted themselves a part of the people of God. He's saying it's up to you to build an altar. Not to build the brazen altar that was already in the tabernacle. No, that was already done. We're going to talk about that next week in the next few weeks here. But it wasn't talking about build a golden altar and build the uh, uh, Ark of the Covenant. That was already in the tabernacle. He was saying you need to have and build an altar of the earth. What does that mean? Rocks and dirt stone, whatever it might be. He's saying, build an altar. Where? Where do they build it? Wherever your family is. Because wherever you plant your family, that's called home. And I'm thankful for that. That tells me I don't need to live in a big house, a small house, a townhouse, a park. Wherever I park my family, that is my home. 
I know a lot of you remember in 2008 and 2009, we went through that massive crisis and people were losing their homes all over the country. I lived in a certain part of the country where it was more devastating than most. We had unemployment over 20%. It was crazy. People were houses every single block. You wouldn't think of it today. You know, now houses are, you know, they're, they're, they're gone and they're barely even on the market, not even on the market. But then it was like, Sister Iris, almost every single house on the block, it felt like was up for sale. It was a foreclosure. And people were having, were losing their houses. But I remember clearly telling someone, you might lose your house, Brother Ralph, but you're not losing your home. Your house is a structure. Your house comes and goes. But your home is where you take your family and say, this is we, where we are going to live. And, and everyone lives in different homes. And, or, and everyone lives in different houses. Uh, but it, what matters is what you do inside of your home that God is curious and, and wants us to pay attention too. And so what he's saying is wherever you put your home, there you need to put an altar. You can make it out of dirt. You can make it out of stone. You can make it however you want to make it. But you need to have a place that's set aside just for me. In the Hebrew, when this phrase comes to build an altar, literally it means to make a place sacred. In other words, that whatever that is, the altar was, it took on many different forms. There were some altars that were meant to offer sacrifices. Other, others were meant to be memorials. But whatever that place was, it was a sacred place. It means to literally establish a sanctuary or establish a sacred place. That's why in Genesis 12, we see this, this happening as well with Abraham. One of the very first, and it's interesting. I wish I had time to do a study on altars. We don't really have too much in the Bible that explains the origin of altars. We have Cain and Abel. It shows up that, that Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain. But we don't really understand why he did that, how it all happened. All we know it was a part of the culture. All we know is that it was a part of how people related to God. If you go all the way back into the Garden of Eden, the Bible just says that God covered Adam and Eve with skin. And, and so what we see here is that something had to die. According to Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And so all we know is that for whatever reason, and it's kind of weird, something had to die. That's always been something something crazy to me about the Bible. Like, what is it about animal sacrifice in the Bible? And it's one of those things we have to scratch our head and kind of say, we're not 100% sure, but what we know is that it creates a sacred space, a sanctuary. It establishes a sanctuary wherever that activity happens. Genesis chapter 12, verses 7 and 8. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. And there, Abraham, he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Why did he do it? Well, he did it so that he would always remember what God came and spoke to him. Verse 8, and he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. God would exemplify the altar in the garden, like I mentioned. Later, it would become, in this sacred space, a method of how people would worship and honor God. 
This is why we have to have altars in our home. You've heard me say so many times, and I will continue to repeat uh, this Thing that we do in worship is not designed just for a Sunday or a midweek, but it's designed to happen every single day. Every day we can create an atmosphere of worship. Every day we can create an atmosphere where God's presence can move and his presence can dwell and you can bring the power of God into your home. Someone say amen. For Adam and Eve, the sacrifice would allow humanity to have access with God. In other words, once God committed that sacrifice, he he killed that, whatever it was, sheep, goat, whatever it was of skins and covered Adam and Eve, that activity of sacrifice made it possible for Adam and Eve to continue on living. Why? Because the Bible says the day that you eat of the tree, you shall surely Die. They did not have right or access to live only by the grace that God gave them. And it was so, it was through the altar, it was through the sacrifice that gave Adam and Eve the access to God. And just it is for you and for me, when we have an altar in the home, we are inviting the presence of God, which gives us access to God. Are you, are you with me this morning? Or this afternoon, I know you're tired, it's after lunch, and I know, I, I know what I'm fighting, praise God. I'm going to have to get that coffee turning out there and you know, wake some folks up, praise God. But it's so important to have access to God. I don't know about you, but I've got to have access to God. Because I go through things almost on a daily basis, Brother Sergio, where I can't handle it on my own. But I got to appeal to a power that's greater than myself. I don't have the power to pick myself up and dust myself off. And I know the world, they say, oh, well, you can do that. You can pick yourself up by your own bootstraps and all that. And just a self-made man. I'll, I'll confess to you, I'm not a self-made man. If it had not been for the Lord who was on my side, the billows, the waves would overwhelm me. I would have been dead. If it wasn't for the Lord protected me and kept me and sheltered me. I'm not here on my own, but God is here with me. God's fighting for me. And you only know that You only know that when you go through the fire. Brother Steve Winkle's here this morning by the grace of God. We're so thankful to have Brother Steve back. He was battling. Brother Steve, there wasn't much you could do, was there? There wasn't anything you could do to get yourself out of that hospital. You probably wanted to. I know I talked to Sir Kathy. You don't want to be there. There wasn't much you could do. All we could do was call on the hand of God and say, Lord, we need you to be the healer. Lord, we need you to be the way maker. The only way you can do that is because you have access to God because you have a doorway where you can get to him. You have a way to get God's attention. You go through sickness. You go through disease. You go through loss. You go through trial. You go through pain talking to people you know what it's like some of you just recently have buried loved ones and put them into the grave and you called out to God he said God I don't understand why it's happening it's in those moments he's given you access to him 
And some of you don't even know how to explain it, but there was this peace that just covered your heart and your mind where you've seen other people literally lose their minds, drives them insane, can't keep their thoughts together, can't function, can't go to work, but for some reason you've been able to wake up every morning you got the memory, you still have the tears, the pain, it still hurts. It, those scars are still forming. You still miss them more than, every, than ever before. But somehow, some way, you can put one foot in front of the other. Can I tell you, if it had not been for the Lord who was on your side, it would have overwhelmed you. But God was with you. Say, how is that possible? This is what happens when you put an altar in your home. It gives you access to God. I'm talking to you young parents, but also some of you older parents. I'm talking to all of us today. We need to make sure we keep that godly altar in our home where God has access to us and we have access to him. The altar creates a, a sacred space where God can meet with his people. It was designed to be a place of sanctuary, a place of protection from what? From the chaos, from all the distractions, from all the things that would hinder the move of God. And he said in our text, Exodus 20, 22, in every place where I record my name, I will come to you. This is a promise that we can hold on to. When we build that altar and your kid starts going through a, a situation, whether it's a sickness, whether it's just adolescence, <laughs> whether it's toddlerhood or something, got to have that altar, praise God. Whether it's just rebellion, whether it's just confusion, whether it's just weakness, whatever's going on. When you have that altar, you have a sanctuary. There's a place where there is rest. And your kids feel it, by the way. Well, sure they do. Some of you are single moms and single dads and you have shared custody. And, and there's times you can't control what happens in the other house. You, you don't have any control over what the other person's saying and doing and teaching. And, and you don't have any control over that. And God's not going to hold you responsible for that. But what he will do is hold you responsible for when they are with you. That's right. In other words, I'm responsible for what God has given me dominion over. I'm going to answer for God how I treat those children and what I teach them when they're with me. And so if you only have the children part of the time, guess what? You got to work double time to make sure the godly truth is in them. You say, how am I supposed to do that? You make sure you have an altar set up in your home that when they get there, they know they are in a safe place where they can feel the presence of God, where they can come to and run in the middle of the storm. I've seen it time and time and time again. What you need to do is stay faithful to God, faithful that when those kids get older, they're going to remember what they felt. They're going to know what they were taught. They're going to remember the seeds that were planted. It's not hopeless for you. No, God still has a plan and you still have a voice. We're living in a generation where we want to, we, 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 uh, how do we say, I always say this, we, we make perfect the enemy of the good. I heard that phrase a long time ago, and I, it just sticks, it sticks in my spirit. We give up on the good because it's not perfect. We give up on, on uh, uh, the good things just because it's not the way we think it should be. 
You need to start working with what God has given you. And when you are responsible and faithful with the little things, even if it's a little bit of time, God's going to begin to expand your territory. Oh, I feel that tell someone that again. We need to be faithful in the little things that we have. And then God's blessings will just continue to be poured out in our lives. And you can change it when you create that sacred space for your kids. An altar was designed to be a sacred space. But hear this. It was also designed for imperfect people. Did you know that? You want to know why? Because it was designed to take care of sin. <laughs> it was designed so that we would remember the goodness of God. If we were perfect, we wouldn't really need an altar. We would always remember. We would never sin. But we're not. We're not perfect. So we need an altar. The altar's not there because you're worthy of the altar. No, the altar's there because you're going to need it on a regular basis. That altar is a confession to God and to your family and everyone else. And it is a confession that says, I need the Lord. Not just something I want. No, no. I need God. I need him in the morning. I need him in the afternoon. I need him, in the, I need him every single moment of every single day. The old song said, I can't even walk without him holding my hand. I can't make it one day without the Lord. I need him. The altar was designed for imperfect people. And Proverbs tells us about the imperfect man. He said, Proverbs 24, 16, for a righteous man, a righteous man will fall seven times. It didn't say a, 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 a sinner will fall seven times. You catch that? A righteous man will fall seven times. That means someone who is in right standing with God. Look at that. It's right there on the wall. I can see it. A righteous man. That means that someone that is going to heaven. Don't let the devil tell you because you mess up on a Monday or a Tuesday that somehow you lost your salvation. Well, I know some of you that doesn't really sit well. Did you know even good people fall? You know that even the righteous fall? Did you know that even the righteous sin? Oh, yes, they do. But you know what the difference is? And rise again. Those three words. A righteous man will fall seven times, but he will rise again. In other words, he's not going to stay down, but he's going to get back up no matter how many times he falls. That word seven is important. No, I'm not, I'm not a, a numberology guy or numerology guy. I don't believe in that stuff. Like every number's got to have a meaning. I don't do all that. But seven is significant. <laughs> Notice what I said. I'm not, I don't believe that. But then I believe in this one. But seven shows up so many times. It has this connotation of completion, of being finished, of being done. And so what he's actually saying is, oh, on the eighth time, then you're done. No, no, no. What he's saying is someone can be completely, uh, a righteous man can completely mess up. Can, can just be a disaster of a person. How many know some of those people? Don't nudge anybody. There's a disaster, completely messed up. But watch what it says. And rise again. 
So it doesn't matter how bad, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter how messed up you've been, doesn't matter where you've gone, what you've said, who you said it to, how many times you said it. As long as you find your place to an altar, as long as you find your place of sanctuary, as long as you find your place and say, God, I know I'm a mess. I am messed up. I am just a wreck in my life. I need you now more than ever. Can I tell you that God will listen to that person way before he listens to somebody that thinks they're special and they got their nice suit on? That's what the Bible says about the Pharisee. The Pharisee would stand in the center of the, of the street in the market and he would, he would say, oh God, thank you that I'm not a sinner like that older, other guy over there. Thank the Lord I didn't mess up like that. He's a complete wreck. But yet that old man comes over there and the Bible says that he's beaten his chest. That means that he's just so frustrated with himself. I messed up again. I'm so worthless. I'm just can't get it right. I know some of us have been there before. Messed up, made a mess out of my life. I keep doing it. Can't seem to get out of this pit, make the wrong decisions, think wrong, act wrong, talk wrong. I cannot seem to get it together. The Bible says that that man that approaches God in that way will be heard before the other man that's got pride in his spirit. Why is it? Because even a righteous man, someone that's completely fallen seven times will rise again. They will make their way to an altar. They'll make their way to a place where only God can heal the broken soul. And if you're here today and you need forgiveness from sin, God is here and he can mend your broken heart. He can put the pieces of your life back together. It might not be back together the way you think it might, will be, but it's going to be exactly the way God intended it to be because he is a deliverer. He is a healer and he'll bring you from where you should be or where you're not and place you right where he wants you to be. Oh, yes, I believe that. Someone say amen. amen. Why is it people think we have to be perfect to become disciples of Jesus? No, there was no disciple of Jesus Christ that was perfect. They were all flawed. They were all messed up. They were cheaters. They were liars. They were swindlers. They didn't have it all together. But God came in and God said, I want you to come after me. And they started getting their life together. They, 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 they weren't the, the ones that people would choose, you know. Why is it that we think we got to have it all together before God uses us or before we, we get spiritual? We, we say, oh, I don't want people to think I'm going to be spiritual or something like that. <laughs> you think that your kids are going to make fun of you. And they might. They might. <laughs> that might happen. Like, oh, dad, he's just going through that phase again. Oh, mom, you're just, you're just in a season right now. It'll change. That's all right. Let them say what they will. You got to make up your mind. Things are going to be different. We're going to have an altar in this home. We're going to pray together as a family. We're going to feel the power of God. I want to feel the power of God with my kids. And, and I know sometimes you, those, those kids, I know. Oh, I know. Sometimes you think, man, there is nothing spiritual going on right now. <laughs> But you just got to keep praying. 
Because the word of God is never going to fail. I said the word is never going to fail. It's not going to return void. It might seem like you're not getting through. It might seem like you're not making any progress. Some of you young people, you hear me right now, you might feel like you're not gaining any progress. You're not getting anywhere with God. You keep pressing. You keep seeking after God. He's got ministries going to start to open up for you. His destiny is going to come open for you. And before you know it, you're not even going to realize it. Some of you won't even realize it. You'll just be walking in his exact plan that he has destined for you, and you won't even realize it. But you got to stay faithful. You need to keep the all in your life someone say amen there's five functions of an altar that I want to talk about briefly and then I'm going to close number one it's a place where God dwells it's a place where God can abide it's a place where you can create that atmosphere where God can live number two it's a place where you can find forgiveness of sin And this is important in the home because it's not just forgiveness from God, but it's also forgiveness from and for others. Oh, yeah. The Bible says that if you have aught with your brother to leave your gift and find him, leave your gift at the altar and find that person and make it right. I know we don't like to preach about that passage, do we? That's tough. Make it right with people. The altar brings forgiveness. Not just for you, but for the same forgiveness that God bestows upon us. The same grace, by the way, that God gives to us. The same, that's the same forgiveness and same grace that God expects us to give out to other people. That word love one another, that's the same word love, the agape, that God gives unto us. That means that just like like God loves us unconditionally, oh my, you and I are to love unconditionally. And it's hard to love people that hurt you. Worse, it's hard to love people that hurt you on purpose. (laughs) Getting hurt is a part of life, you know. It's like people say something, you know, it could be offensive. Say something about your hair, ladies, or your, your dress. It, it, they didn't mean it, you know. They thought you were pregnant. They didn't mean it. You know. Don't do that. Never would do that. It can, you can get hurt in a lot of ways, you know. But you know what? It's, it's, it's easier to forgive someone that hurts you on accident sometimes. But it's really hard to forgive someone that hurts you on purpose. That maliciously go out to destroy and hurt, to seek you out and bring you down. Yet God says it's impossible to love him and hate your brother. Can't do it. Just, just can't do it. It's like oil and water. You can't have a relationship with God and be at aught with one another. So the altar is there not just to sort out your relationship with God, that's obvious, but also to sort out the relationship one with another. It's so that we live in harmony in your home. 
Some of you know what it's like to have conflict in the home, hatred in the home. That's not God's design. That's not God's plan. God's plan is that you would live together in unity, husband and wife, in a holy state of matrimony, not a state of war. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, and, and this takes work. I think I told you, it takes work sometimes to stay in unity with your family. Oh, yeah, sure it does. Relationships just don't take uh, not just husband and wife. We all know that husbands and wife, it's very difficult sometimes. You got to work through things. But even with brothers and brothers and sisters and sisters, it takes work. Some of you are like, yes, it does. You know? But God has called us to a place of forgiveness. That's why when you keep that altar in your home, there will be a constant posture of forgiveness. Someone say amen. amen. Number three, it represents the priorities of the family or at least where the priorities of the family should be. God first, everything else get in line. It's all about him. It's all for him. In our house, we go to church. In our house, we go to Bible study. At our house, we go to prayer. At our house, we believe. At our house, we trust in people. In our house, we have a, 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 a belief in one another and a love for one another. It keeps the priorities where they belong. Because it's easy to let things get out of priority, you know. Because life is busy and, 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 and things vie for your attention. But when you're raising those kids, you better be careful because you're creating patterns in their life. I know it's kind of warm and it's in the afternoon, but hear what I'm saying. You're putting patterns into your kids. Young people, hear me right now. What you're doing today will stick with you the rest of your life. Put good patterns in your life. And by the way, don't wait to get married to get it together. That's not going to work. Like when I find a wife, then I'll figure out who I am and what I want to do. Nah. You got to get it together now. Everyone say now. now. You're putting patterns and you're setting yourself up for a future. You need to get it together right now because who you are right now is who you're going to attract. Let me just talk to the young people just for a moment for a second here. Some of you hyphen, listen up. Who you are right now, you're going to attract. So if you're lazy, unmotivated, guess who you're going to attract? Someone that's lazy and unmotivated. So you can't wait around to get it together. You got to get it together now. And by the way, why is it that people always want to marry someone that's got it together? Like I want them to have a job. I want them to have this and that. A house, a nice car. Retirement started. What do you have? Why is it we want expect everyone else to have it? You need to say, now's the time. I'm going to start putting in patterns and things in my life, and I'm going to start with that altar every single day. You don't need to trust on mom and dad to create the altar. You need to get it together in your own life right now. And I might as well, I'm the pastor, I might as well just say it. And if you're talking to someone that doesn't have an altar, young or old, by the way, I know we got some singles here today, a little bit older. If you're talking to someone that doesn't have an altar, you might as well just skip over them, you know. There's got to be someone else out there. Because you don't want anybody that doesn't have an altar. You need someone that has set that place of, of, of safety and that place of sacrifice and that sanctuary in their 
house. All right, I'm going to move quickly. I'm almost done. I got four minutes left. I'm almost done. Number four, it is a place where we exemplify a spirit of giving at the altar. Why is that? Because the altar was designed at its heart for an offering, for a sacrifice. It's a place where we teach our family, where we lead our family in the giving ministry, (laughs) in the act of being generous, not just in our tithe, but also our tithe, but in what we offer to the kingdom of God. It says offerings. There There were offerings set aside for every group of people. For those that had a lot of resources, there were certain offerings all the way down to those that didn't have much. You just gave, you gave what you had. You gave what you could. And from with the altar, it creates a spirit and exemplifies a spirit of giving. Yes, with tithe. Yes, with offering. But with our resources, with our ability, with our time. Some of us think, well, I just cut a check to the church and, you know, whatever. As if it's some sort of uh, country club or something like that. You do as much for the church as you do for the Salvation Army. It doesn't work that way. God's not just interested in that, that checkbook. He's not just interested in the tithe and the offering. He's interested in you, in your commitment, in the spirit of giving, a spirit that says, I want to see God's kingdom move forward and expand it. No matter what I need to do, I'll give them my tithe and my offering. But more than that, I'm going to give them my time, my effort, my resources. And the altar exemplifies that. This is what got Cain in trouble. I don't, I'm running out of time. I don't have time to get into all that. But that's what got Cain in trouble. He offered a a, a sacrifice that wasn't worthy of God. This is what David said. I'm not going to offer unto God a sacrifice of what costs me nothing. No, I need to at least buy that sacrifice. He said, I can't offer to God uh, uh, just something that didn't cost me anything. And when you build an altar in your home, when you have a family altar, it teaches you and your children and everybody in that family that we're a giving family. That we're giving to the kingdom of God. We're willing to sacrifice for the kingdom of God. Why? Because we believe there really is a heaven and there really is a hell. Someone say amen. Amen. Last one, number five. It represents, and this is important. My timer's blinking at me. It represents, the music can come, the grace of God, which should be modeled in every single family. Just like that forgiveness, God's grace should be modeled. There's a, there's a doctrine that teaches, well, I don't know if it's really a doctrine, but it's a theological construct that teaches about God working with different people in different ways at different times. They call it, in theology, they call it dispensationalism. It's interesting, but a part of this construct is somehow that it got labeled that the church age exists inside of the dispensation of grace. I don't really like that term because the dispensation of grace makes it sound like grace only exists now. But the truth of the matter is grace has always existed. Even during Adam and Eve, we saw grace. Oh, sure we did. They should have died for their sin. But God in his grace allowed them to live. 
Even Moses, under the law, there were so many times where Israel, the Hebrew people, they should have been kicked out. And as a matter of fact, God even wanted to a few times and Moses stepped in. He said, I'm going to start over with you, Moses. He was ready to kill everybody. I don't know. We don't preach about that God too often, do we? <laughs> but it was there. And the Bible says that Moses interceded on the people's behalf. What is that? That's grace. When we deserved punishment, God gave us grace. When we deserved death, God gave us life. And when you have an altar in your life, when you have an altar in the family, you represent the grace of God in your home. That when people mess up, kids mess up, parents mess up. You know, it's hard to say you're sorry to your kids. <laughs> it's hard to apologize to your kids. But everybody makes mistakes. That when people make mistakes, you have grace in the home. You have grace in the family. The same grace that covered you when you sinned, that God gave to you. The same forgiveness, same grace. We have that for our family and for the family of God. And when you have that altar, it represents the grace of God that should be modeled in every single home. Let's all stand this morning. It's never too late to build a family altar. You might be a family of one. You might be an older family. But did you know that there are many people that are not blood relatives that can benefit from your altar? The Bible says that the seed of Abraham would be a blessing to the entire world, that through him, the whole world would be blessed. It's never too late to have an altar in your home. And if you do, you might be looking around like, well, I don't have any kids, I don't have a wife, I don't have a husband, I don't have any, you know, that's just me. It's just me. You don't know who God is going to bless through your altar. Some of you have grandkids that aren't saved, haven't seen you know that they can be blessed and changed from your altar. Some of you don't have custody of your kids. You say, what is it going to matter? I can't even see my kids only once in a while. They're only over here once a week or once every other week. And I, I have almost zero influence. But when they're there, you don't know what's going to happen when you build that altar. You don't know what they're going to feel when they walk into your apartment, into your house, into your town home. And you don't know what's going to happen when you create an altar. You're creating a, a sacred place. You're creating a sanctuary. Don't wait till you have it all figured out. Start right now. Don't wait till you get older. You start right now. Don't wait till everything's put together and the retirement's in the bank. And now, okay, now we can. No, no, start right now. And if you do, the Bible says, just as it said in his word, God said, I will come and I will bless. Father, every eye closed, every hand lifted right now. Let's pray. Father, in your name today.
God, I pray that people in this house right now would commit, Father, to build an altar. Build an altar in every single home. God, that we would commit to see your presence live and dwell and move in our houses and in our homes. God, that we'd make a decision to search for you and to find you like never before. God, that we will love you with a whole heart, that we will love you with all of our mind, soul, and strength. Lord, we love you today. Let your blessing be on us. Right where you're at, why don't you go ahead and just lift your voice. Lift your voice to the Lord. Why don't you pray in the spirit right now? Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. We're going to worship the Lord today. We don't have a whole lot of room down here at the front, but if you're here and you want prayer today, I'm going to invite you. You are welcome to come up to the front. There's not much of an altar space, but I want you to come this morning. If you feel you need prayer today, I will always open up the altar to allow you to come and receive prayer. Maybe there's something going on in your life. Maybe there's something going on in your family, and you're saying, I need prayer. I need help. I need God to intervene. I need God to move. I need God to strengthen. I'm going to invite you to this front right now, right up here. Press up close. We're going to worship. We're going to sing. We're going to bless the Lord. And if you need prayer, I'm going to welcome you up to the front right now. And if you're there, there in the aisle, and you're going to stay in your pew, I just want you once again just to love the Lord, worship him. Praise him. Oh, Lord Jesus, we love you this morning. We love you this afternoon, God. We worship you today. We praise you today. We glorify you today. If you're going to come, I want you to press in close so we know who you are. I want you to come and lift your hands. It's all right. Go ahead and take your time. If you want to come, now's the time. You need prayer. We have an altar team here. It's going to pray with you. That's all right. Step all the way up. Step all the way up. Step all the way up. Hallelujah. 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 That's all right. We have room down here. There's room down here. We're going to work through it. If you need prayer, come step close right now. Come step close right now. Press in as close as you can. Oh, yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Now, right where you're at. There's still time. If you would like to come for prayer, you can come this morning, this afternoon. You can come this morning. There's still time. Come up here to the front right now. Hallelujah, Jesus. Now, if you're back there, I just want you to lift your hands and just love the Lord. Why don't you spend some time in prayer? Spend some time in prayer with your family. Say, we're going to make some changes this week. I know I haven't talked the way I should have talked, and I know... I haven't always been perfect, but we're going to place a family altar in our home. And there's been some things broken, but we're going to see God move. We're going to see God speak. Uh, oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. 
If you're standing with your family, why don't you reach over and pray for your family right now? Why don't you reach over and link up with your family members right now? Oh, God, that your will would be done. Oh, God, that your spirit will be poured out in a new way. Lord, that your blessings would flow. Oh, Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. I love you.